Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. Welcome to the podcast, Maya. So glad to have you here. I will um, link right away to the episode that you have already published with us together. Uh, It's a fantastic episode. I want to thank you again for just like, it's really, it's really a cool experience to be on the other side of the conversation, like whatever that means, side. Um, but I find that like, I think about things differently and I answer things differently because I'm like in it in a different way. So thank you again for having me. And we will link to that conversation, but you're here today to share some of your personal experience with abortion, which, um, is just so valuable, valuable for my audience to sink their teeth into. So, I will let you introduce yourself in whatever way feels right for today, for right now. And then we will just talk because we already know from experience that the problem <laughs> is going to be having us stop talking. So I'd love to just talk. This we'll is do our rest. Um, well, and I want to start off by saying this by way of introduction. I am your audience. That's how I met you. I yeah. am an audience yeah. for your podcast. And in my private life, I've always talked about my abortion my abortions. Um, I've had two mm-hmm. and I've talked to friends and I started to recognize I had a lot of younger friends as I was, I worked, I was an actress. I was living in New York city. I was in a lot of restaurants. And so I had a lot of friends in their twenties when I was in my late thirties. And the number of things that I discovered young women did not know about mm-hmm. sex or the history of abortion or like women's voting rights or something you posted the other day about like women got the right, like Roe v. Wade, 1973, the right to open your own credit card, 1970 fucking four. I'm so angry. Just saying it out loud. I know, like, right? oh. You know, I was, I was born in 72. So, um, I think we need to keep that like, okay, let's keep awake around that. Like, Hey, this all just ha- like, this is not recent, although I am turning 50 and that is kind of old at this. I'm like, that actually counts half a century, (laughs) but that's still in my lifetime and it's not that long ago. And so I think, um, remembering that and remembering that and realizing, um, that people don't know things and that we have to talk about this and that I actually think, I'm going to use a strong word here, but I actually think this is how the revolution is actually potentially going to happen. That women just start talking about this stuff openly, not just with each other, but we were talking before we started the recording about all of this stuff that's been hidden from public view or from men's view, but even from women from each other about birth menstruation. I don't know who, I think it might've been you talking about if you have your period, was that you and your- Yes, and my son comes in. (laughs) I used to when I was a kid, (laughs) but that's like so mind-blowingly different. So I I remember being a little girl and knowing this, my my mother made sure we had books and was, she was a little uncomfortable. We used to, I just remember being like 10 and we'd be sitting in traffic and I just start saying, Hey mom, penis. And she was like, please stop saying that. She'd get giddy and almost as we thought it was hilarious to like mom penis. Like she couldn't handle some of those words. And she really tried her best to get Mm -hmm. us the books. She wasn't a great conversationalist around this stuff, but she gave us an education. She was not, she did not shy away from like, my sister told me I was four years older. She's like, I used to sneak looks at the book she got you. Like my sister's book was all about how <laughs> nice. animals have babies. And then mine was like, how men and women actually do that? So That's my so mother, really, right. She tried to give that context, but normally um, we don't talk about this stuff. It's hidden. And I would be in the bathroom as a little girl, knowing I'm going to get my period someday. And like looking through, I remember taking a tampon apart and 
and and, and she, like putting it back in the paper and back yeah, in the yeah. box. <laughs> found it, you know? No one will know. <laughs> right. But then I remember being older and like not being able to use a tampon mm-hmm. when I had my period. Like mm-hmm. I had a lot of pain and I couldn't. And I was, I think I asked my mother point blank, can you show me how to do? She was like, Maya, I'm not, I can't show you. How, like, like, how could I ask? But I'm like, well, how am I going to know? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's just like that divide or that curtain comes down. And so anyway, I, I want to get into my story because that's what we're really here for. But I just am seeing from listening to your podcast and having you on mine and starting to realize just, oh, I need to talk about this stuff, not just with the couple of friends that I have to educate them and be open with them, but overtly in public. And it's scary. And it's also thrilling and exciting because the idea that we could really just pull the curtain back on this and talk about it openly, like it's no big deal. Um, really, wow, that feels really impactful. And yeah. And I think it's part of like how we use our privilege, right? It's like, we have a lot of privilege. And so if we've gotten the help to work through things, if we have white skin, if we have, you know, enough food on our tables, then this is how we can use our voice. This is how we can give back, um, mm. which is tricky because it's not like an obligation to do so, but it's deeply impactful when you can use your voice in that way. Yeah. Um, we can make a difference if we start speaking up. And I think too, there's also that feeling of when you feel called, like I've always felt called to speak things out, like speaking light into a, Mm -hmm. I'm like, let's speak everything into the light. And I did that as a very little girl. I was very intuitive and I knew what was happening in the adults world. And I would just speak whatever tension or information. People just shushed me. And I was blamed in my family for my, if you would just get along with people better. And I'm like, um, my father is sleeping around and I happen to know that. And I, so I had all of this secret knowledge, uh, that nobody wanted to hear. Fortunately now, like people pay me to help them uncover. I know, right. Thank God. But so again, yeah, I, I, and I appreciate you saying that about the privilege because I'm, I do get very scared. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I need to remind myself that I'm allowed to speak and that I'm actually sitting pretty in a position to actually do that with fewer repercussions than many people. So, yeah. Yeah. And I notice myself thinking sometimes like, oh, this is too scary. Uh, It's not safe. And then I do remind myself, like, I have choice about whether to feel safe or not. And so many people do not. And I don't want, it's just not in my, like, I would I wouldn't feel whole and complete if I didn't use what I can to make a difference. So, yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah, I'm right there with you. And it's, I just keep feeling called into the next level. And that's what this conversation is for me. And I'm quite honestly thrilled. And I'll say this. So season two of my podcast just dropped last week and you were the one of the, in the top three episodes and yours has gotten the most downloads yeah, out of those three. It's the time too. It's the time. Um, and I, I met a new friend who was like talking about her real Christian faith and following of Jesus. And I, she said, I listened to your conversation. I just like, I had met her on a zoom meetup that yeah, the night yeah. before. And then we were chatting the next day and she said, so I've listened to a couple of your podcast episodes and I just listened to your conversation with Amanda. And I was like, Oh no. And she was like, what so I've had one abortion and she just started yeah. talking yes. and she's grappling with her faith around this. And I'm like, I'm giving myself chills. I'm like, fuck, this is what, this is, this is why when we're just that touch stronger or willing yes. to grapple with that fear. And I, I'm just, uh, so I'm okay. Well, you yeah. know, I have, I, I have two stories. I have two abortion stories. So, yeah. and they were dramatically distinctly different. And mm. so I want to share them back to back because yes, I think please. they showcase and highlight a bunch of different things. Um, and my first, I'm turning 50, as I've mentioned, I mentioned mm-hmm. that a lot these days. <laughs> That's what I'm currently grappling with. It's part and of I'm how like, we process. We say that <laughs> I'm like, I'm still 49, but I'm turning 50. So um, I, my first abortion happened the, I made the appointment the on my 26th birthday. So I got pregnant the night of my, I graduated from college a little late 
when I was 25, finally pulled it in for a landing mm-hmm. and um, had a party. And someone I'd known a long time and loved a long time came home with me. And um, he said to me, I don't think he, this was his way. He was like, I don't think I can make love to you tonight. And I was very disappointed because he was very good at it. And I was, <laughs> I was like, it was actually my friend's joke that night. Like there were like five men and a couple of friends and they're like, it was a waiting game. Who was Maya going to pick? <laughs> so I was disappointed. I brought the right guy home, but I was disappointed and um, we fell asleep. And in the middle of the night, he reached for me. And it was very sexy and hot. And I heard this voice in my head because we started to have sex and there was no condom. And like I had condoms there, but in the middle of the night when it just happened, Mm -hmm. I couldn't find the voice. Mm -hmm. And while I enjoyed the sex, I couldn't find, I don't know how quite to describe this, but anybody who's been maybe sexually abused or this was not an abusive scenario at all, but if you've ever gone into freeze or dissociated, I had a huge amount of sexual abuse in my childhood and I was raised by a tyrannical father. You did not disagree with him at, you know, you disagreed at your peril. And I went into freeze without being able to find my voice, hearing what I literally call the Mm -hmm. voice of God saying something like stop now. Mm -hmm. And I knew in my bones, like I literally knew in my cells that I would get pregnant if I allowed it to continue. Yeah. And I couldn't, I could, I was paralyzed. It was like how people talk about being an actual paralysis or under the influence of a drug where you're conscious, but you can't move. And the next morning when we woke up together, he rolled over and he said to me, I don't know what happened last night, but it was good. And he kissed me and he left. Mm -hmm. And what I thought he meant was we'll be seeing each other again. Like this is going to lead into something. I said nothing. And I'm a talker. I'm always like, so what do you think about what happened last night? Like, that's me with men. Not, I said not a word. And I knew that I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was confirmed. I got immediate morning sickness, my breasts. Well, I was like ill to the point of saltines in bed, motion sickness, moving. And um, I was scared. And I told, I had, I had three friends who were pregnant at that point, like three close friends, Mm -hmm. all of whom had been at my graduation party. I honestly think that I ovulated because I was around pregnant women. It was not the right time of the month for me. I'm like, I like went back to the map of the calendar in my head. And I'm like, this is not the time, Mm -hmm. but I was around women. And I just think, Mm -hmm. and then I was 25 going on 26 around this beautiful man. I loved who I was very open to and just right? So, and I'd always thought if I got pregnant, I would have the baby and I would name her cadence for the Mm. rhythm of life. Mm. Like that. I would just trust that. And then I got pregnant and I knew I did not want to have the baby. There was no question. It was just this inner knowing of no, but I didn't, I had all these pregnant friends. So I told a guy friend who his girlfriend, she'd had an abortion the previous year and he'd taken her and we live in like small town in upstate New York. So I, I said to him and people took me out for my birthday and I was just like ill and had this secret and couldn't really enjoy myself. And on the ride home, I just, we stopped uh, at my car in a parking lot. And I said to him, I have something I have to tell you. It is a secret. <laughs> like, you know, mm. like goes into your secret vault. <laughs> this doesn't go into the, you go home until your friend or whatever. And he was like, got it. Like he really focused. And I was like, I'm pregnant. He was like, congrats. I was like, no, he was like, no, like he was able to immediately get with, this is not, and I said, I, I, they told me at the clinic that if somebody would take me, I could get Valium, mm. but I need a driver. Mm. And he was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in it. Yeah. And he said, does the guy know? And I was like, no, he said, you have to tell him. And I was like, I can't tell him right now because I don't, this, I cannot have that. I'm not having the baby. I can't have the complication of this Mm -hmm. conversation with this guy. Um, I almost felt like it was none of his business, which I know from the sensitive guys or maybe all the men's perspective, some men are just like, uh, your body, your choice, like kind of as a deflection, not my problem, your situation. And sometimes they use that as like almost a, 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 like they fake out a feminist stance, but they just don't want to deal. Um, 
but I just really felt that way. Like I'm going to make this decision. And I was about to move to New York city to be an actress after graduating. And I just was like, this is a no. So, um, but I thought if I'm going to do this, I want to do it with my eyes open. I don't remember the name of this movie. This is back in the nineties, right? Mid to late nineties. There was a Laura Dern movie that came out. Have you ever seen this movie? I don't, I meant I'm to look terrible with movies. Okay. With actresses, so, all of it. Okay. So this is, this is, this is worth anybody who's interested. This is the, one of the movies that I watched and it was a bit of a farce. Um, in a, a, like a satire in a really positive way. So there's, Laura Dern's this great actress and she plays this character who's had a bunch of kids who've been taken away from her um, because she's like a total addict, but she's like huffing on the street from a paper bag and she makes it humorous. Um, Like, so you get this sense, like it's over the top. It's not a serious dramatic movie at all. And she's in jail and she finds out she's pregnant again in jail. Mm. And I don't know if, like her lawyer suggests telling the judge that so that they'll let her out. But the news gets out and like the super feminist women are like, we're going to support you to have an abortion. And they're like singing this moons. I mean, it was just like really over the top, like woman spelled with a Y. Do you know what I mean? Like under the moon, all of this whole thing. And I'm like, that's the part I lean closer to. I have to see this movie. (laughs) Oh my God. But it was like, we're going to get you out of jail and you're going to get to have your abortion. It's your right. And then the Christians were like praying for the soul of the baby and this whole thing. And I don't remember that part so much. I I don't remember what happens in the movie, but I remember just thinking, I need to get my head around this. And it was before the internet, but I'm like, I need to look at what what does a baby look like at this stage? Mm. What is happening? So I really did some investigation and I remember, and this is something that you had said um, and probably in more than one place that when you were pregnant with your children, you were like, it's my baby, I'm in love, I'm connected. And um, I had that connection right away. I I knew this being, I can feel connected to her right now. And there's so much love there. But I... um, read this article and I don't remember by who I was a subscriber to the new Republic magazine back then I'm thinking, was it like Naomi Wolf? Maybe I feel like it might be, it could have been Katie Royfe. I feel like those were two big feminist thinkers back in the nineties. Um, and whichever one of them it was in an article said, we have to stop talking about it. Like it's not a baby. It's a pregnancy. It's a collection of, because she said that's how she talked about it for years up until the point she was like a few weeks pregnant with her first child. And I wanted to really tell the truth about it. Like we were just saying earlier, like, let's just tell the truth. I just wanted to, I don't want to, I don't want to have to shroud or cloak my reality in a story or a narrative to swallow it more easily or make it more palatable for other people or for myself. I don't need it palatable, palatable. What I can swallow is the truth. Everything else fucks with me somehow. And I think people, I think the world is shifting towards that. And I think people who are intuitive or empathic, um, and I almost want to say like, and all women that we know what's true, but it's confusing because we've been taught that I, I had it yesterday with my boyfriend. I had a few friends over for dinner and some women friends, and he was heading out and I, um, I was like, God, this is the moment where I want to smoke a cigarette. And he goes, you don't want to smoke a cigarette. And I was like, and that's where, when somebody said that to you as a child, you headed into your compensation programs. Like he has, a, like, that's the moment you just denied my truth. I do want to fucking smoke a cigarette right now or 10 and I'm not going to, and I don't have any. But this is the moment where I would have liked to. And he, you could tell he like did not like that. But I'm like, no, don't lie to me or make me lie to me. I want to, this is where I want to smoke a cigarette. Just truth. So that's what society is always doing to us. What he did, it's inconvenient. He doesn't want me smoking. Mm-hmm. I get it. I've never been a smoker, but I, I've smoked socially and for, I love smoking. Okay, so not doing it. Um, But so that little shift there of like how we've been taught to lie to ourselves. So you might not be able to feel what's true for you because that happens to us all of our childhood. Like I said to my mom at one point when I was about 10, how would you define hate? She said, intense dislike over a long period of time. And I said, okay, so then I hate my father. 
And she said, Maya, no, you don't hate your father. Like those moments teach us to abandon ourselves. And I believe that's trauma. You don't have to have been raped or sexually abused or beaten. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So all of that, just to give a little bit of a context of who I've always been. And that in that moment, when I was pregnant with my first baby, I did not want to shy away from the truth of any of it. Yeah. And I called a friend who um, had had a baby at 16 and she named her Maya actually. So I, you know, I'd known her in high school. I hadn't seen her for years and I knew she'd also had an abortion. And so I called her and I was like, I'm in this situation. What do you recommend? And she said, I've had an abortion and I've had a baby. So I've been to both places and I recommend having the baby. Mm. And I was like, so I just did all of this investigation, right? And then I just would walk around my small town, looking at the stars, hands in the pockets of my sweatshirt, like holding my belly, communing with this baby and like the stars. And I swear to you, she was like, it's okay. Yes. You don't like, it's okay. Um, and I didn't realize until years later, after a few years after my second abortion, which happened a decade later, what was really going on there. But there was a huge lesson, a huge awakening, a spiritual awakening and a healing for me and a way to almost, I've never said it this way before, but tether me into my body and my own experience and like really jolt me, wake me the fuck up. Like you are here, you are in the present moment, be with yourself. Do you get what life is about and what's going on here? And I wouldn't get that for like another 13, 14 years. Um, but she was okay with it. And um, then my friend took me to get this abortion. I was really scared. And I remember hearing this woman and like hearing people in talking, like wanting to tell their stories. Like, well, I just switched birth control. We have three kids. We're doing right. well. I do. Like all of this. Right. And I had this Valium and it was all women. It was an all women clinic. And there was like one lone protester with her little sign outside. <laughs> and I was like, my, my friend was like, he's like, you're scared. They're going to bomb the clinic. I had so much terror, mm -hmm. you know? And so I took this Valium and I come in and I was like, I thought that it was, so it was all women on staff, like five or six women in the room with me. And I'm on the bed and I'm like, ah, I thought that this Valium was going to help. And this woman just goes, honey, if we hadn't have given you a Valium, we'd have to peel you off the ceiling. Like, I'll never forget. And I was just like, they were so wonderful and gentle. Mm -hmm. They talked to me, they held my body. Like they really, they were not, they were not just like, let's get in there and do this. They were like, okay, here's what's going to happen. Mm. You're going to feel almost like you have a little diarrhea. There may be some pressure. There will not be any pain and it'll be over pretty quickly. Um, they walked me through this whole thing. And I feel like somebody held my arms or my leg, not held me down, but like touched me. Yeah. embodied me, grounded, me, yeah. grounded yeah. me. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, I've asked for that at other gynecological appointments because of the sexual abuse. I would have these, like, like when I got my IUD, they left me alone in a room and I just sobbed for an hour. Like, cause there was so much physical sexual abuse traumas yeah. like stuck there. And I was invaded. My body rejected the IUD within a few weeks. Like it just was like, no, um, but I was trying to really find birth control after this situation. Um, but back to that moment in that room, I don't know if I was like writhing around or just having like, I'm an emotional person and it comes through me. I don't, it, I don't tamp it down. I'm a cancer Scorpio moon, Scorpio rising. I'm all about this. And, um, so after it was over and it all happened so quickly, I don't know what I was doing. I don't know what led one of the nurses, maybe that same nurse to say, wait, 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 come back. She needs to see it. Wow. Oof. Such gratitude for her for following that intuition, that moment she had. Right. Wow. And they brought the tin pan back to wow. me and I rolled over and I looked, I can still see it perfectly looks just like they do in the photographs, like a six, it was six weeks. Yeah. So just this tiny little, are they an embryo at that point? Yeah. And you know, I'll say my only regret is that I didn't take it with me. I didn't take her huh. with me yeah. to bury her. I should have had her with me. Mm -hmm. I feel like 
that's something that I would like to see be possible that women mm-hmm. can have abortions anywhere and that they can choose what happens to the remains of the baby and that we really normalize it in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I was, I don't know where I was for a while recovering and um, I don't know how long that was, half an hour, an hour. And I had been so sick. I hadn't eaten for two weeks. Like I just described, I was wearing two bras to sleep in. My breasts were so tender. Um, And within that hour, I honestly don't know. Was it psychological? Because they said you could have a positive pregnancy test for a couple of weeks afterwards. I felt fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I went to meet my friend in the waiting room and I was like, I'm starving. And I felt like this full body smile rising up Mm -hmm. through me. And I was like, Maya, don't. I wanted to like walk out grinning into the waiting room, like, I'm good. Like I really, and not again, not in a denial way, but just like, that's honestly how I felt like, okay, fuck. Yes. I'm good. We're good. I didn't, I wasn't full of hatred. I was nothing. I was full of love for this whole experience and this bonding connection with this baby and this soul and life and the cosmos and existence and choice of like all of it. And, but I just knew like, that's not socially acceptable. Don't do that. And then we went out and I've never eaten. I've never eaten. I don't really eat fast food, but we went to um, Taco Bell and I ate this meal that I'll never forget. It was like in a big bowl that you could eat the bowl. And um, my friend reiterated to me, he said, you have to tell him. And I said, Mm -hmm. if I see him again, I'll tell him, but I moved to the city and two and a half years later, I got see, I came home for a visit at a cafe and I, it's a small town. I got seated at the same table as that man. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. And again, we had that connection. So he's like, let's go for a drive. And it looked like it was going to be heading back to romance again for the weekend. And I was like, I have to tell him. And I sat him down and I said, I have something I have to tell you. And I walked him through that night. And he said, I've always wondered what happened that night. He said, in oh, the morning, I have chills he, again. <laughs> he said, when I, when he said in the morning, I don't know what happened there, but it was good. He actually had had sex with me in his sleep and didn't remember that we had had sex. And he got very emotional and he cried and he said, what is it? I don't remember exactly how he put it. Something like, what is it about women like that they're so scared to tell men Mm -hmm. these things like his reaction was perfect Mm -hmm. like because his sister had had a baby and she hadn't told the man that she'd had his baby Mm -hmm. and so then this and he was like what is it about men that women don't want to tell them these things what are we doing wrong here yeah and I took a vow and there's something along these lines on your podcast, I was like, <laughs> do you want to say something? I know I've been talking. No, about I just want to breathe. So okay. good. Thank you for sharing yeah. something along the lines of what? That I it was like, I felt guilty and wrong and bad for having this abortion. And so I took this vow. I will make my life amazing mm-hmm. because I sacrificed this baby. And then like, life is really hard. I couldn't make everything happen. I'm not, I am not a movie star. (laughs) I am not coming to you from my mansion in Hollywood. Like that was my plan. But I, I realize, like, I love how you talk about we're living the life that we, we would be living a completely different life if we hadn't had the abortion, but it doesn't have to be like a sacrificial vow of like, like a punitive, I need to flagellate myself for the rest of my life to make up for this crime that I've committed. That's not it at all. No, no, no. So yeah. And I, Oh my goodness. So beautiful. I wrote down a question that I think you Mm. answered in this piece about the truth. And my question was, here we are two people who did feel that deep spiritual connection with the pregnancy. And not only were we able to say no to the continuation of the pregnancy, we were able to say no in a place so filled with love. And my question was like, what is that? If we could bottle that up and describe it, I feel like I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to 
trying to describe that. But at the same time, I think you sort of answered it in this question of, we don't need it to be palatable, right? We, mm-hmm. are, we make room for it to be all the things. And I think our willingness for it to be gray is what allows us to hold both those things. Like, I love you and no. Yeah. Hello and goodbye. Yeah. Um, And when we try and trap ourselves in these like binaries, we can't, we can't love something and say goodbye to it. It's too hard. So I don't know how, or if it's possible to bottle that up and help people feel it and see it, but I'm going to keep trying. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I actually have, I've really, I think I have an answer to that and it's become my life's work. So let me quickly just walk you through the second abortion and what happened afterwards in Mm. my own like personal evolution journey, because Mm -hmm. that's where the answer came to me. Oh God. I love it. Go. Okay. So 10 years later, I'm now 36 and I'm seeing, I had just had my heart broken and I defaulted after that to a like, oh, well, I guess no great man is ever going to love me and nothing good's ever going to happen to me. So I'll just hook up with this semi-abusive, alcoholic, not great lover guy. And there was this one afternoon where he wanted to have sex. I was leaving for work and I was just like, whatever. Like it wasn't, it wasn't bad sex, but it wasn't good sex for me. And um, I was just kind of like, fuck it. And, um, I think he might've even said like, can I come inside you? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, again, not thinking it was that time of month. Like I've always tracked that. Um, so it wasn't quite the same, but my life, the whole fact that I was in a relationship with him was like a dissociative state. So that sexual moment wasn't the same as the other guy, but (laughs) I was living from the framework of self-abandonment. Yeah. And, um, he was South American and he really didn't want me to have the abortion and he really wanted, I was living with him. So there was no hiding it. Like we knew immediately my breasts just like, yeah, I just remember once we were in the shower and he came up behind me, he was like, babe, (laughs) cause I don't have huge, but I was like, woo, I had zero morning sickness symptoms, just very perky boobs. And, um, I mean, it's so fascinating how different the experience was. And I knew I didn't want to have the baby again. And I had one of the other vows I had taken in the middle of all in that intervening 10 years was I don't want to have sex with a man whose baby I wouldn't want to have, because Mm. I really thought at the time that the reason I didn't want to have the first baby was because it was with the wrong man. I have realized I don't have children. I actually didn't want to have children. I didn't even realize, I didn't like, I didn't know that consciously. Hi, little doggy. Are I we know, having a, a, right? sleep, a dream? We're having a dream. We're having a dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, and we're still dreaming. I think we all recognize those puppy dream sounds. Right? Sure. Listen, I interviewed someone on my podcast recently whose dog vomited in the middle of the episode. Oh, dear. Way, so we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I don't remember exactly where I was. Oh, that I definitely knew I didn't want this baby either. And I literally, I was like at the gym on the treadmill, like maybe I can just have a miscarriage. I could feel this baby holding on. Mm, And I made an appointment, right? I just, I'm like, no, I'm fully pregnant. This is no miscarriage. And I, uh, so I called Planned Parenthood in Brooklyn and they just, they had a waiting list. Oh, they also said to me, you have to be at least six weeks pregnant, which I hadn't known. And I don't know if that's true. And this was, Mm -hmm. there was no like morning after pill. I mean, that was still maybe coming around. I don't know. This is going back like 15 years, right? So um, I made an appointment at a center in Midtown Manhattan and I got there and it was, you know, huge numbers of people. They gave me an ultrasound and it was two women giving me this ultrasound. It felt cold and impersonal and very medical, mm. right? So the other different than your first experience. Yeah. And um, 
I don't know if there's a law where they have to give you the ultrasound and show it to you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> like, oh, cool. Like, yes, I see. But it was almost like they were like, um, young lady, do you see what, you know what I mean? It was very serious and somber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I walked back into the waiting room and I saw my boyfriend. I was like, I don't want to do this. He's like, let's go. And I was like, what I meant was, I don't want to do this here. I wasn't mm-hmm. saying I don't want to have the abortion. I was saying, I don't like this here. I don't want to do this this way. Yeah. It felt wrong. Um, and so I wound up in a waiting room with like 25 other women and there were women, young women there. I remember the place, the Planned Parenthood I'd originally gone to in downtown Manhattan said they did about 250 abortions every Saturday. And so there's this part of me too. That's like, that's a lot. Like, why are we getting pregnant and not wanting to be pregnant so much? Like that's a whole other conversation that I think we need to be having. Mm -hmm. Right. But then looking just at my own context, uh, I see how it happened to me twice. So, yeah. So I went through with it. I'm sitting there and there were clearly some girls who were very far along and they were there like for two days in a row, like they'd been induced or whatever was happening, having more of a surgical experience and nobody was making eye contact. And I, I really didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't like the whole feeling of it. I can still see some of the people. Right. Mm -hmm. And So then I go into the room and I'm in a gown and there's a man there and he pulls up like on his little chair next to my head. And he's like, okay, so I'm going to give you this injection and you're, you'll just pass out, whatever you'll go out, you'll go under. And that'll be that. And I was like, go under. I don't want to, they hadn't told me I'd never been put under. They hadn't told me ahead of time. I'm like, go under. This is like an outpatient procedure. What are you? Like I'd already had the other experience. And he says to me, he just looks at me and he says, well, we could not put you under and you might move during the procedure and we could puncture your uterus or I could put you under. So basically he lied to you. (laughs) And I was just like, okay, again, dissociation, taking over my body. Uh I have like, I have no choice within this choice. And um, I came out of it in, you know, a big recovery room, kind of like an ER, like a bunch of, Mm -hmm. and he walked by and I was emotional. I was really grateful. And he walked by and I said, thank you so much. But I realized there could have been like five men in the room. I don't know what they did. You know, Mm -hmm. doctors are allowed to, if you're under, do a pelvic exam. If you're under for a different reason, they can bring their whole training staff in and do a pelvic exam. That's legal that you can have people in your most, like, I want to say your most sacred center. I just feel so strongly that if our culture was different and not this patriarchy, um, and I really hesitate to use that word because I just feel like all of that, like feminist anger gets perceived and rises up in me and it can repel people from listening. But I really feel like to enter or penetrate or have access to a woman's body is it requires an invitation. Mm -hmm. And I want men to feel honored, to be allowed access, Mm -hmm. not this right that they just can, and that it's mechanical. There is nothing mechanical about it. And in fact, in my recovery, I felt like he, they had punk, I felt like for years they put a hex on me and I felt like my uterus had been punctured. Um, and I have fibroids, endometriosis, huge complex ovarian cysts. I've been doing a lot of healing and I'm healing in that area. And I don't regret either of these abortions. I only regret some of what happened and some of that self-abandonment. There is still a lingering energetics. Like when I think about the abortion, it's, it, something did get ripped away or torn away or Mm. interrupted violently, aggressively. And energetically, I can feel that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, second chakra, I've done a lot of exploration there, but I can feel this energetic remnant still. And I'm doing a lot of healing work. I got some abdominal massage. It's called. I was wondering about that. Yeah. And this woman who did it was like, she touched my, my pudenda, like that was involved. And I was like, wasn't sexual. It was wonderful. And I found my, I woke up the other night doing that. I was like massaging my belly. And then my hand was on my whole area. And I was just like, and I don't even know what to call it. Cause I grew up calling it the vagina, but I know now they call it the vulva, but like my parents gave us a word for it, but I never felt like 
oh, I'm just allowed to massage. And so there's so much that women are exploring these days that is, it's really healing and wonderful and beautiful and kind of like obvious once you get down to it. Um, But so that was that second story. Um, Finally broke up with that boyfriend. And um, around the time I broke up with him, I got fired from my job and I was on unemployment. And one thing led to another where I got invited to a personal development seminar. And I really started to see like my belief system. And I started to host different healers. I brought this woman into a networking event I was hosting with a friend in Manhattan for women in the healing and the creative arts. And this woman came in and did breath work. And I had this transformative experience. And somewhere in that whole mix, I had thought like, well, I don't have a belief system. I was raised atheist. And then I realized, oh my God, I have this Eastern European atheist belief system, which is Mm. that life is something that just happens to you. And some people are lucky and some people are not lucky. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And I thought, well, between the sexual abuse and that, or that and the sexual abuse, whichever came first, no wonder I got pregnant twice. No wonder I had these. And there was this huge waking up moment that I had that I can see it almost as this like coalescing, which has led me to this work that I do where I believe in reincarnation. I have read so many mediums. I think John Edwards, I feel like Sylvia Brown, people who are really well known for their mediumship talk about abortion. And they say there is never a case where the soul of the aborted baby does not know that they're coming in to be aborted. Yes. It will not last too. And that they are coming in to help the mother with a soul lesson for her personal Mm -hmm. evolution. And I believe it. I feel like these babies were part of my awakening and I would not be doing the self-realization, self-actualization work that I'm doing now. That is, Amanda, it's exactly what you were saying. Like, how can we hold the opposites? Well, the truth really resides in total paradox. (laughs) That's where it is. Like, I love you and no, or like life is beautiful and ugly. Like death is beautiful. When I wrote my short story about my first abortion, I, I feel like when I read a sort of channel and it was like, there is beauty in death is a line there, which I also experienced when my father died and I was with him. And so these, the simplistic, these rules, how you said binary, I was thinking rules and like black and white thinking, uh, they, they trap us on either side of the truth, but not in that. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They trap us on either side without access to what is true, which yeah. is the middle and all the things. Yeah. So would you say these abortion experiences have led you to redefine and break out of that framework of self-abandonment? 100 percent yeah because that level of self-abandonment walking around feeling that and carrying that mm-hmm. like hating myself for it how could I let this happen because I believed that I had done something wrong you know and you and I talked about this a little bit like is abortion murder I don't know that I would put that you know what I mean like I don't know how to language it in a way I haven't really found an answer to that but I feel an answer to it inside of me um yeah But I really, you know, in my late twenties, moving to the city, I was grappling with, I really looked at, there were some signs up about, have you had an abortion and you need somebody to talk to about it? And then I was like, oh, this is like the Christian, right? Mm -hmm. They're not going to help me with it. So I had to find my own way. Um, But I felt very victimized because of that belief system that life just happens to you. And some people get to be lucky and life hates me. Like, that's really what I was walking around with. And so I was self-abandoning. And so part of the solution is realizing like life's life loves us, God, whatever you, whatever your mm-hmm, belief system is mm-hmm. like light. We are children of the cosmos. We, we really are. We are mm-hmm. like beloved children of the cosmos of life of God. And, um, you can't take that away from us. And when I, I actually had a, um, conversion experience where Jesus Christ himself came to me, it was really amazing. I'm like speaking in tongues. So golden light, like the most incredible experience in my early forties, right after my dad died. 
So I went to a church. It was a beautiful church, but they would pray for the souls of the dead babies outside the abortion clinic. And I was just like, that doesn't sit right with me for a few reasons. One, you're really freaking out women who are already freaked out. Two, do you really believe as a Christian that God's grace does not welcome home those baby souls? Like it completely conflicted with what I had experienced knowing the second baby was a boy. Mm. I know he's a boy and I named him too. His name is Raphael Rafe. Mm. And I don't know, in some weird twist that I have not talked to my mother about, she um, started writing a novel and she, she shared a few chapters with me recently. And the husband in the novel, who's loosely based on my father, I think she's working through some stuff. Yeah. I was like, do I really want to read this? She named him Rafe in the book. <gasps> I'm like, whoa, what? Wow. So there's something there. And I've heard, you know, friends of mine who were in energetic and ancestral healing talk about miscarriages and abort, aborted babies. So they're in your family tree and yeah. they want to be acknowledged. You can go back and do some of that ancestral healing work. And so there's so much, I think the word I want to use here, Amanda, is like reclamation. Mm. When you start to reconnect to yourself, not your human self who feels like a sinner, like I'm a lowly sinner. We all have that, whether or not we're raised religious, that infiltrates our culture and it's not true. And it's not true. So yeah, I think mm. and healing is messy and it's not linear. And I don't know what everybody needs, but you do maybe abdominal massage or prayer or ritual or ancestral healing, or you write a short story, you know, and it brings you home to yourself slowly over time. Yes. Oh my God. So good. So good. Um, I love that you just speak so clearly to abortion being this, I don't know, portal path door to explore these belief systems that impact your whole life, right? It's just like, it was a way for you to look at that and a way for you to see and understand this reclamation in a totally new way. Like I'm ready to reclaim myself, not yes. abandon myself. Yes. So powerful. There are two things I want to wrap up here soon, but there were two things I would love for you to share more on because they're sticking out to me. I don't know what order. I'll just grab them in any order. One is a question you asked that we don't have to go deep into, but I think so many listeners are asking themselves this same question. So if you have any insight, I'm sure it will help somebody, which is when we ask ourselves the question, how could I let this happen? When you're in that question, it's, it's so painful. Now that you're outside that question a little bit, or maybe fully, I don't know. How do you answer it yourself? How do you answer that question now? How did I well, let that happen? I think, well, okay. Getting back to the spiritual belief system I've really developed for myself over the past dozen or so years. I believe that we choose certain experiences when we come in as a soul for a level of evolution that lasts beyond this lifetime. And so I look at it like I, and this is going to be hard for some people to, to stomach and I get it but just open the conversation with yourself around it. I, human Maya, little girl Maya did not wanna be sexually abused, but Maya on a soul level was like, fuck you shit, so that I can have this next level experience. The pain is worse so that the healing is, is it goes further. And you have to start, I, I, I want the first thing that as you were forming this question, I was like, you need to talk to get help. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the work that you do, Amanda. I do yeah. this work. I don't focus on abortion, but I, many of my clients have had abortions yeah. and yeah. talk, talk to yourself. Like, I don't know where your healing journey and your why starts. Like, what was the question? Like, how did I let this happen? I think I answered that by going, oh, this is why, like I answered the question. Yes. Why, or the bigger question, like the meta question, like, why did I let this happen? Why did I, why on a soul level 
What's in this for me? Why would I want this to happen in my life? Am I maybe being an instrument in the world? Like you and I clearly have been called into like service here. I never, this was not my life plan, you know, but Victor Frankl, I don't know if you're familiar with Man's Search for Meaning. He always talks about, which really helped me because I felt again, victimized by why isn't life delivering me the goods? And he says, uh, that's the wrong question. We might need to be asking, what is life asking of me? And that's what I've been stepping into through this experience. Yes. Yeah. As soon as I asked you the question and you started answering, and again, these words don't always sit well with people until they're explored at a deeper level. But I, as soon as I asked it, I wrote the words, like I welcomed that to happen. I allowed that to happen so I could do this healing work. So I could expand into this bigger, bigger space. Um, And the difference between how could I let that happen, which is that victim state that's so valid, but not empowering. And we can choose to take back that power. We can choose to say, I welcome that to happen for my growth. Yeah. Mm. Deeper pain, deeper healing. Thank you so much. Okay, the last thing that I took a note on that I would love to just address quickly, but this is, they're all big conversations, but this is a huge conversation that I don't think we have time to get into, but I'd love to hear your quick thoughts, which is that experience of, this is so common, I have no choice in this choice situation. I think this is an entire body of work that needs to be looked at, but you, you, I don't know if you remember saying it, but you were saying it in the sense where he presented you with, we're going to put you to sleep. And, and you went into that dissociative state and kind of just went with what was happening. Um, But that was when you mentioned it. I have no choice in this choice situation. And I think that's so hard for so many of us to grapple with because it it is real and true. And the healing work is working through, through that. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think in most cases, we do have a choice. Um, I could have said, you know, thank you so much. This is not the way that I'd like to have my abortion. I had a very positive experience with some women a few years ago that I'd like to revisit and I'm going to be going to Binghamton instead of Manhattan. I could have, but I think we're taught disempowerment by the patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that goes for men and women. Men absorb a different teaching. Um, But we do have a choice and we, but I think our culture wants to tell us that we don't because it wants us to be just players in its own, like we're cogs, we're, we're, I mean, how inconvenient is it that women are speaking up about their abortions? You know, which reminds me one thing, and when you asked the question, I wanted to say this, because I know a lot of people say, and I think you've said this too, like I'm not pro-abortion, but I am pro-choice. I am rabidly pro-abortion. Me too. And that, okay. And that first abortion, I was in, I can still remember the bathroom where I was like, these women were amazing. And if abortion rights ever get taken away, I'm going to learn how to perform them. I am the wrong person to perform any medical procedure. I've Okay. Maya, do not, you do not want me doing that, but this is maybe that's where abortion doulas, are they a thing? If I would like, okay, because that might be something I think I could see myself in that kind of a role. So I just want to say, I can see you in that role too. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'm, this, a lot of what I'm saying today, I've never said before. So it's all just, me too. True. <laughs> right. I love that. But so I want to put this out there on offer or that um, if somebody's going through it and they're really struggling, like reach out to me, I know they can reach out to mm-hmm. you too, but just like, maybe we can just have a moment back and forth where I'm like, it's okay. You're okay. It's mm-hmm. okay. Um, and for us, I think we're slowly like in slow motion coming to life and realizing, no, we do have a choice, even in those 
non-choice moments or how we can go. They say you can't change the past. Yeah, you can. You can go back and revisit it and have a new experience with it. Totally. As soon as I asked you and you started talking, I heard, um, you know, those words come out. I had no choice in this choice situation. And I think the way we go back, like you're saying, is that happened. How can I be ready or how am I ready to practice owning my choice elsewhere? I think what we do is we like, we recognize the, the massive disconnect and then we try and heal where it's so massive and gaping. And it's like, okay, I see the belief system that is in my way. And this is like almost Abraham Hicks territory. It's like, now go do the work somewhere else. Own the choice of the smoothie you order. Own the choice of when, you know, when you're making date plans with a partner. Own, like do the work of owning your choice elsewhere. And it will, I want to use the word bleed. It will bleed into the other stories that want healing and the future bigger, (laughs) you know, whatever that means, choices you'll be making in the future. And I I am in complete agreement with everything you said. And I think that one final point I want to make here is that it's not just about healing or like it is about healing, but you can heal more than you ever thought possible to like a new level of being. And so it's not just about like getting over it or learning coping mechanisms or learning how to deal with it or talking about it in therapy and compartmentalizing it away. It's about coming to a newer, newer understanding and a newer, this is what realization and actualization is all about. Like, how do you be who you really are? Cause we're so afraid that if I'm going to dig a little deep, that I'm going to discover that something's truly wrong with me. Your human self is all kinds of fucked up. Let's not lie. <laughs> like That yeah, is true. Like, I'm afraid I'm going to find out. Wait, wait, so wait, you wait. will have to go through that. There is <laughs> that is... level there. That, there is that layer there. But the real truth, like the deeper capital T Abraham Hicks self-realization level of truth is that your true self, what I call your wild free self has been buried by all of these experiences and these beliefs and our indoctrination. And when you can dig yourself out of that, then who you really are can like your wild free self can take things really deeply and to heart and laugh in a conversation about abortion. Oh, so good. I, um, I told Maya before we got on that I've been, um, I've been supporting someone very close to me through a birth in the last three days. And I said to her, like, I don't know, I don't know where my brain's going to be at. And now I'm like, you just took that away. I'm going to hand the podcast over to you. You can take it from here. Thank you. I am so deeply grateful and grateful that you were the guest lined up today. I looked at my schedule like on two hours of sleep and went, I can cancel anything I want to cancel. And I was like, nope, we're doing it. And I'm so glad we did it. Such a powerful conversation. So much just just to take away one little nugget and, and start applying it. Your whole life will change. Mm. And so I, thank you. When I speak from personal experience, yeah. that's really true. It's yeah. really true. Amanda, thank you so much for this yeah. powerful work that you're doing. And um, I really do. I know you said you'd link, but I want people to listen to me talking to you because there is something about having your story pulled out of you. Yeah. And what you did for me today was, God, this was healing and amazing. And yeah. Um, yeah. so- Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> and lastly, super quick, where can people find you? MayaWild.com. Um, I'm at MayaWild720. That's my birthday. <laughs> um, on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm everywhere. And then the Dirt Road Less Traveled podcast. Perfect. And we'll do all the linking, but thank you so much. I feel like there's more for us to come um, and I'm ready yes. for it to unfold. Me too. Oh. Until next week. 
Thanks for listening. And as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.